Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be taking a look at what's new for KDE's latest release of KDE Plasma 5.20. We're going to be taking a visit into the quantum realm to discuss quantum computing and an article Red Hat released about the subject, including sysadmins and what they'll need to do to manage this new realm without an Ant-Man suit. In our gaming section, we're going to be howling at the moon because this week we're going to be checking out the Werewolf Apocalypse game, also called Heart of the Forest. And of course, we have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Seemed like we had to have howling. It was required. It was required. Well done. Welcome to episode 196 of Destination Linux. Get your DLN mugs, take a sip, sit back, relax, and prepare to have your minds overtaken and by the open source and the Linux goodness bombs we're about to drop. My name is Michael, and with me today are my direct-to-video Pixar animated friends, Ryan and Noah. Let's find out what everyone's been up to this week. So, Noah, what have you been up to this week? Hey, Michael. I uh, So, things have been good. I have been, uh, as I said last week, I was exploring the Pine Book Pro. This week, I'm taking a look at the Pine Phone. Now, what's interesting about the Pine Phone package, I've actually purchased two of them. I purchased the original Pine Phone, but I just had to get my hands on the Pine Phone Convergence package. Now, uh, I've had a chance to play with uh, PostMarket OS, and I've had an opportunity to play uh, with Sailfish. I've had an opportunity to play with UbiPorts. And out of those three, Sailfish is still the clear winner. The reason is just polished. They they all work fine, and they're they're great from a security standpoint and from a true Linux standpoint. It's all great open source software that works really well. Um, it's just there's a lot of little polish that that needs to happen. But Pine, I think, is changing the ecosystem because. There are there's a market for people out there that just want the best computer, and I don't know that Pine is ever looking to touch those people. However, I think there's another market for the average person that just says, I want to send a couple emails, browse Facebook, uh, get on Matrix, stream DLN. That's what I want to do with my computer. If that's you, the Pinebook Pro will serve you perfectly. In fact, I would argue it would serve you better than a Chromebook because the build quality is better. There's more applications available on Manjaro than there are on Chrome OS itself. And of course, you can always put Chrome and then run all of the Chrome apps. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I've just I've been really impressed with everything I've ever purchased from Pine. So I'm excited to see exactly what I can do when I punish my Pine phone. So Noah, we were talking before the show about Mm -hmm. kind of the availability of this device and whether it will be mainstream. And we were talking about convergence as well. When I think Mm -hmm. about convergence, to me, Apple is the closest to accomplishing this goal. Now, a lot of people say that's because they got the closed garden. It's much easier. They control the hardware. And sure, all of that may be true. But when you look at the convergence model and you look at Microsoft or Apple, to me, Apple is further along. When you get your device, they have that near field technology where If you have a brand new speaker you buy, you put your phone near it, automatically sets it up, gets all of your data that it needs transferred over through that connection. Uh, There are things like with their new mini speaker, for instance, if you are listening to music on your mini speaker and you swipe your phone near the speaker, it sends that music to your phone so you can go listen to it in your car or the directions like they are building that world. When I think about Linux, the only company I think about that's really creating hardware at that level where we see any signs of convergence is Pine64. When you look at their laptop, their phone, the accessories that they're building with those devices and the tablet added on, you've got your kind of five screens and they are looking like they are creating a convergence from a hardware standpoint because they don't really deal with the software side. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question, Rand. I don't personally believe that uh, just because uh, they have a closed garden that somehow excludes them from, you know, that that somehow taints the conversation. If at the end of the day, if the right way to get convergence is to lock everything down so you have access to everything, then that's the right way to go about it. I, I guess when my experience, and you have more with Apple devices, but my experience with, with Apple devices has been somewhat of they use the internet and the ubiquitousness of the internet and the fact that data can be shared between all their devices to deliver what would be a convergence experience. To me, the difference with Pine is they're starting from the standpoint that somebody just wants to own a computer. They want to own a device and put their data and their stuff on it. And then they're extrapolating backwards and saying, okay, what cool things can we do with this device? And so even if it wasn't connected to the internet, even if it didn't have internet, um, you still have the opportunity to participate in some of that convergence stuff. And I I think 
that's going to be a little bit of a different, certainly a different end result, but I think also it's just going to be a different process the way that Apple goes up the way that Apple goes about doing it versus the way that Pine's going to go about doing it. And I kind of like the Pine approach better, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah, because if you flip over a Pine phone or a Pine book or anything else, you can actually like take screws out and replace anything and repair stuff. Not on the convergence side, but there are a lot of arguments, even if they don't have the convergence, which I think, again, they're the closest in Linux to having that dream being potentially fulfilled or worked on. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that you can repair the device, uh, you know, gives it a lot more life and capability. Also, I love what you said about Chromebook, because I agree, having had both Chromebooks and the Pinebook, I would take the Pinebook any day of the week over a Chromebook. You're just going to have a better, faster experience, in my opinion. And also, like you said, what makes the Pinebook Pro so powerful is you can dual boot multiple operating systems. It's made for that. So you could just stick a micro SD card in if you wanted to boot into Chromium OS, do that. And then when you don't, you pop it out and boom, you're back in Debian or whatever you have installed on the EMMC. So yeah, I think it's a fantastic little device. I love Pine64. I, I think that like the Pinebook Pro is a very impressive device. And, and, and in comparison to what the first generation of the Pinebook was, which was good, but it was very enthusiastic, like enthusiastic person, you know, that kind of person would want that. The The Pinebook Pro was a great second generation jump. And looking forward to the Pinephone, you know, Pinephone Pro maybe or whatever, that it would be it, like it's already getting iterative updates and improvements. They updated the RAM. They made it more powerful and all kinds of stuff like that. And they're already doing that. Like the, the next generation, like the whole new generation of it will be, you know, I think it'll be at that point of potentially a mainstream product in the same way that a, you know, a, a mid-tier product a phone could be. So I think that that would be a lot of potential. Uh, but also, I wanted to know, Ryan, you mentioned earlier that you uh, that you were doing a, lo- a virtual lug recently. So I wanted to, what is your, what's new in your world for this week? Well, what's cool is, you know, the the lugs have had to change because of COVID, but moving the lug to a virtual event, while not as fun as seeing everybody in person, uh, is still taking place. And in, in my local area, I was able to join yesterday. Linux Ninja has been helping take my lug from, hey, this is kind of a meet and greet where we hang out and just talk about Linux. Sometimes we bring in some cool stuff. Of course, Bo's there. So you know, everyone just hands him his computer and says, hack it. But besides that, we wanted to have more official kind of um, talks and things, which was something that the people in the lug really wanted to, you know, start learning. And Linux Ninja has taken that and started creating content and presentations and things so that when people are joining the lug, they also get a chance to actually learn something new, learn some new skills. And so I really appreciate the work he's done there, but he's also a huge fan of Destination Linux. And as such, knowing that we have a game event coming up very soon in November, he said, you know what? I can help you set up Tuxcart server for Destination Linux. Nice. We now have on DigitalOcean an official Destination Linux community Tuxcart server that is up and running. So we have a DigitalOcean Super Tux Cart server you can join right now. It requires two people to start, but then you can do your racing, and we'll be using that for our Game Fest, which to me is super exciting. So now we have Zenotic and Super Tux Cart. That's awesome. So, Michael, what have you been up to this week? So I have been doing quite a lot, but the thing I'm most excited to talk about is there's a new DLNstore.com. So I revamped, rebuilt the DLN store so you can check it out. There's I've, I've redesigned it. I've, I, I made it multi-vendor structure, all kinds of new stuff. You'll find a lot of new products. There's new hoodies. And there's I'm also working on some new stuff. Like we're going to be introducing very soon some hats options, which I know Ryan has been wanting for a long time. So we're going to be adding those yeah. in. And we also are going to be adding some a bunch of other things. And if you haven't checked it out, you need to do so because it is a, a much better experience than the previous version in my opinion so go to dlnstore.com to check it out yeah. this episode of destination linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps with that platform you can build deploy and scale apps and set up websites quickly and easily simply point to your github repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting 
It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than other products. Plus, they built this infrastructure with the app platform on the top of the DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started for free with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. And for our Super Tux Cart server, and for our Xenotic server, and for our websites, and for our DLN store, and well, everything. Thanks, DigitalOcean. <laughs> Exactly. All right. In our community feedback this week, we have Elvin who writes us to say, hello, guys. I just wanted to reach out and say a few things about the show. First, great show and a great job. Uh Uh-oh, this sounds loaded. You know, when they give you a compliment first, it's going to get bad. (laughs) It could. I like the content and what you guys bring to the Linux ecosystem. Now, what Michael said about Unix philosophy, in my opinion, I disagree with. I disagree with him, too. I forgot what he said, but let's find out. (laughs) Unix philosophy is applicable today and in the future because it's the foundation of many things in technology. I agree with the system D and would even say it uses the philosophy as its main function. The reason that Unix guy, Ken Thompson, Dennis Ritchie, Rob Pike, etc. created the philosophy is that like many things in technology, things can get complicated real fast. Another point about doing one thing well is the growth of containers, microservices, Lambda functions, or serverless tech. If we have a tool that does many things okay, it quickly become ineffective and why command line tools are still powerful and useful. I think keeping things simple and having accessibility in Linux will keep it open for the people. If we don't understand our tools, we might as well leave everything in the cloud or private software for others to control. Sorry for being long-winded. I cut out a lot of this email, some of the details and things, and just stuck to the main point. So hopefully I covered it well for you because it was quite a long email. Uh, and want to say you guys do a great job for the Linux community. So he's kind of agreeing with you in, in a way too, Michael, because he's saying System D does actually fit that philosophy in his opinion, but that the Unix philosophy is still important to be used. What say you, sir? Well, I don't think that System D fits that philosophy, and I don't think that's a problem. I think that the the problem with this Unix philosophy is that it it's great to a point, to a degree. Once you get to a level where the the simplicity is actually a hindrance, then trying to stick to it is a problem. So, for example, with System D, they also have Journal D, Home D, they have System Boot, System D Boot. They have a bunch of different things that it can do. It's not just a one thing you know, philosophy structure. And the same thing with the Linux kernel. It's not just a one thing. It's not just for desktops or just for servers or whatever. It's all kinds of stuff. And the main value of the Unix philosophy is that you keep things simple to start. And I think that that's a good process. But once you get to a certain degree, or a certain point in the project, it can't, it can no longer grow in that philosophy. And also I would say that the reason why the philosophy was created is because they didn't really see computers in like in the seventies or early sixties, when the when the Unix stuff was started, or like it was late sixties, early seventies, when that was started, they didn't see computers in the house being so powerful that they could have this kind of thing, or even your phone having a you know basically a brick of magic that can do all these different things. And I don't think they even thought ahead of that to that degree to be able to be so powerful and that this the philosophy could be a hindrance at some point. So it's not to say that the philosophy is wrong. It's that to say that philosophy needs, it's, it's not a future proof thing that always will work. And the biggest example well, is that I think you're saying black and white, right? It doesn't need to be black and white that it has right. to follow that philosophy. There right. are times when it's okay. Like at work, we talk about kiss all the time. Keep it simple. But there are times where you just can't. Right. The in order to get what you need accomplished, you have to put something in that's more complex than simple. Right. And that's okay too. And that's the problem, I think, with the system D hate is that people take a philosophy, which in itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with the philosophy, and you can still apply it to things. But there are things where it's okay that it doesn't fit too. And the hate for system D seems to be stuck on this idea that, well, it's just too complicated. It doesn't fit this philosophy, so therefore it's horrible and crap, and I'll never use it and void it like the plague and all the other things I saw even this week about it. It's just, it's silly. That's what it is. Yes, exactly. The main the main point about my uh, 
I don't agree with the philosophy is not that I don't agree with it entirely. I don't agree that it's the only philosophy that should be deployed in project development and software development. And that's what the system D hate and the other things that are about, like they're saying these things are too complex. I think that there, there are certain things that need to be complex. And in my opinion, I think what system D is doing is actually a kind of a counterintuitive simplicity. They are making something that is very, very complex, but the outcome is that everybody has been switching to it, making it simple to know that you have this one thing that you can rely on and depend on, and it's going to be there. Like that is actually, in a way, a simplicity, uh, you know, in the retrospective simplicity, I guess. And I think the issue that I have with the Linux, the Unix philosophy is that people push it as it's the only one that should be used. And I think it's great, but to certain degrees, it will become a problem. And the biggest example is, Let's say you have 20 different systems, 20 different projects that depend on each other and they all have the same philosophy. And then two of those projects decide we don't want to make it anymore. Then you have just basically crippled all 20, depending on how level the dependency is. That's why that, that problem is like doing one thing and doing it mm. well is great when the project is meant to be small. But once when that project gets to a certain size, it needs to adapt. And I think that's why we need to kind of come up with another philosophy that takes the concept of just like, adapt it to a new modern style. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is we want you to get your official DLN mug. Now, here's the secret. If you send an email to commonsofdestinationlinux.org, we won't actually get it unless your mug is sitting on your desk with a sure. beverage of your choice. We've set it up that way. But you can get your DLN mug. You can fill it with some coffee or bubbly or whatever the beverages of your choice. Set it on your desk and then send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. That is the fastest way to get your comments read on the air. And don't try to trick us with a different mug. It will we'll know. Work. Yeah, we'll we know. Have, we have a we have a proper filter for our email that also detects if you have filtered coffee. So if you think you're going to go buy a DLM mug, mm -mm. no, won't no. work. No, won't work. Email goes in the garbage. <laughs> Red Hat is offering some interesting advice and some interesting insight with articles related to quantum computing this week. Now, they're discussing what system administrators need to be aware of in order to manage the future of quantum computing. The joke is that quantum computing is about 10 years out, doesn't pick, pick which year that is always true, right? And so for those who weren't born yet, the first mainframes, uh, first mainframes rather, were water-cooled monstrosities that required an enormous amount of power to operate. And looking at the quantum computers we have today, there are a lot of similarities. Despite their size needs, quantum computers are becoming a reality and that's what they can do. It's very mind-blowing. To, to simplify, and Ryan, I'm not a quantum computer expert, so, so correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is the basic premise of a quantum computer is that a bit can simultaneously be both zero and one at the same time, thereby eliminating a lot of the protection that we have in, in the realm of security because we assume that that is not the case. And a lot of these quantum computers run on very specific operating systems designed to do one thing. Now, a consortium led by a company called Riverlane has been working with a universal operating system called DeltaFlow OS. DeltaFlow OS is a radically new operating system specifically designed for quantum computers. Now, quantum computers contain both the classical and quantum computing elements that must be orchestrated for optimum performance. And this is crucial for short-term applications such as quantum chemistry. In the long run, quantum error correction requires close to the integration of quantum and classical computing. So the TLDR there, if that didn't sound like English to you, is when we have the ability to 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 have bits be the same thing at one time we can do things much 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 faster so much faster that it entirely changes the way that we mathematically process stuff on computers and fundamentally right. breaks basically every security practice that we have as quantum computers become more of a reality and something that we are going to have to contend with at some point it's going to take it's going to take what used to take 10,000 years to, to to decipher with a computer and you would be able to do it in 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 a fraction of that amount of time, um, and so so this is a big deal. And it's it's a lot of people and a lot of technologists are eagerly watching this, both with the amount of power and tremendous capability that's going to arrive with quantum computing, but also how we are to respond. Things like SSH, HTTPS, all of these things are not built to withstand an attack from something from a quantum computer. Ryan, I hope you know more about quantum computing than I do. Uh, what do you think about this? 
Well, I, I found it fascinating, first of all, to step back in Red Hat thinking about and posting articles about this world of sysadmins having to deal with quantum computers in the future. And I would imagine back when mainframes, as you mentioned, were being developed, people were like, hey, I, I think even one of the I, IBM was saying, this will never be, personal computers will never be a thing. And this will never be in people's homes because they were huge. They were monstrosities. They seem so far off. And then now we can't imagine a world in which we don't have multiple computers in our home to utilize and interface with. And so quantum computing is going to be something that people are going to have to contend with in the future. And your point about the security is the scariest aspect of it. For instance, Google, who we know we have some privacy concerns with that company to begin with, is one of the companies that has a quantum computer out there that's working. And it completed a computation recently in 200 seconds that would have taken the world's most powerful supercomputer, not just a regular computer, 10,000 years to calculate. So what's this mean? All of the cryptography that we use today to a quantum computer is literally worthless. It will go out the door. So you would have to use a quantum computer in order to create something probably that a quantum computer would have a hard time breaking. And the problem is that the only people with access to these things are giant corporations, one of which makes most of its revenue from selling ads and getting your information. So that's scary to me to think about. Now, what's cool is I've gotten in arguments before with people, and we really don't know to both sides of it, that quantum computing is going to be something that's just used for the science realm. It's not going to have any practical application to your normal computer user. I disagree. I think currently, yes, that is the state. But if you look at what Delta yeah. Flow OS is doing, they are looking at making an OS running on a quantum computer that can do both classical computing and quantum computing together, making it far, far more powerful. Now, I reached out to Delta Flow and I asked them because I was looking through their site, very exciting stuff that they're working on. Are you planning on making this open source? Because that's a very important thing to happen with these powerful computers to have an open source operating system running against them. And they wrote back, and I really appreciate the fact they took the time to write back and said, we have only beta released Delta Flow to a few select customers, but we're releasing a first version of DeltaFlow.OS later this year. We are still discussing the exact licensing strategy for the public release. We can safely say that some components will be released as open source, and we are discussing the other components. As I'm sure you understand, we're a young business and have to weigh carefully between availability and financial sustainability there. So I, while I would love the answer of, yes, everything's going to be open source, I appreciate the fact this company responded back. I appreciate the fact that open source is on their mind. And it's really an interesting world because we're dreaming here. This is sci-fi in a way of what quantum computing is going to bring. But it's something that, you know, even Red Hat is looking at and, and notifying, you know, admins to start thinking about how do you deal with this new world? And it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's Schrodinger's computer. It's what? What are you saying? Wow. It's a reference to Schrodinger's cat. It's a, the, the, the way to describe quantum mechanics and superpositions. It's a physics joke. Okay. I made oh, a physics dad a joke. Physics joke. Look at you. I made a physics wow. dad joke. It's not uh, a good one. It, if you if you knew the physics this um, analogy, maybe it would have been. Anyway, you're probably right. Most people would not get that one anyway. But I think that this is a very uh, very interesting thing. To also the fact that they're you know open to the idea of open source is great, and that they already knew about it and are already planning to at least release some of it as open source. I mean, that is something that I wasn't expecting in the first place. So that is fantastic news. And in terms of like the quantum computing thing. I think this is like the statement of saying like it is not going to be it's going to be used for only for science. I mean, they said basically the same thing about mainframes back in the 60s and stuff. So like th that's nonsense. Like maybe it isn't it isn't right now going to be anything other than that. But in the future, we're eventually going to get to that point where it becomes a consumer product just because that's just the nature of technology. It's going to improve. And that's that's just how it works. And, and Noah, you described perfectly the best way to simply explain quantum, the, these quantum computers and how they work about the fact that they can exist in multiple states at once. Uh, and, and my knowledge that really doesn't go any deeper than that as well. But from if we go back to the security aspect, because me and you share this in common, does this scare you to death that the companies that have access to one right now could be using this to break every crypto key 
Yes and no. My understanding was even the best quantum computers that are available out there are still, they have a hard time keeping it cool um, to the point that they're able to do a lot of useful things. So they have some one-off tests that they've been able to say, look, it, it does what we say it does. But to my knowledge, there's not, um, there's no cases of, of, uh, of breaking, you know, a bunch of encryption keys with, with quantum computing that I'm aware of. Yeah. They do. They are very temperamental. In fact, they need a vacuum. They need temperatures. They're close to absolute zero. They tolerate no interference at all. So running them is a big deal, probably very expensive as well. But just the sheer power of it is something that we all need to kind of keep in mind of the world's going to be changing very quickly once this becomes mainstream. So up next in the show, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in Linux, and that's just the awesomeness that is KDE Plasma. So we're going to be talking about KDE Plasma 5.20 that was released recently, and it is a massive release containing improvements to dozens of components, widgets, and desktop behavior, and just in general, all kinds of new stuff, including a new wallpaper that is very, very nice looking, made by the talented Lucas uh, Andrade. Uh, I probably butchered that. Sorry. I tried, though. Anyway, it's really nice looking, and there's also been a lot of cool stuff changing around, like the way it's like the UX stuff. One of the things that I've been wa- wanting for a very long time for being the default option is a the task manager to switch to icon-only tasks, and they have done that, which is great, because if you're not familiar what this does, isn't it's like the old way of doing Plasma. It has the icon, and then next to the icon has the text of the title of the application, which is fine but it doesn't look that good and it also isn't really unnecessary because most people identify an application by its icon anyway so the icons only task manager is just more efficient and just looks better and it allows you to have better efficiency in terms of like the usability as well so i like that decision a lot and i'm very happy to say they did that and uh, I'm curious what you guys think about the latest release. Have y'all checked it out? Have y'all seen like the release notes, that kind of thing? Does uh, it run on quantum computers? It, I need uh, a quantum it, computer and KDE in order to watch cat videos online. Well, they're, they're currently working on uh, Wayland support. So I think after that is the quantum okay, computing. Quantum. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they're doing. This is very exciting. KDE continues to impress. What I like is that they're focusing on the critiques that you often hear about KDE, such as your system settings are in multiple places when they shouldn't be. You know, KDE is highly customizable. That comes with complexity by itself. So I understand them trying to figure out how do you have a fully 100% customize anything you want interface and also make it really easy for users and I think when I look at this release, in my opinion, what I see is them focusing on that critique by moving things like settings and configurations instead of having standard shortcuts and global shortcuts, which was a personal pain point for me that I hated so much. Uh, they've combined it into one simply called shortcuts. So things like this, while you may not mind blowing in, in that change, it is something that makes that user interface far simpler and far more approachable to people. K-Runner is one of KDE's greatest things for launching applications. I think it's just amazing. And they're doing work on that to make sure um, that you can move it around and has new features. So it's just everything I see here is about taking all of the features we love about KDE and making it more accessible to everyone else. Yeah, pretty much that's exactly it. And that's what I'm, I'm really happy about this latest release because they're they're working on the polish of KDE Plasma. And Plasma's... If if you look at the technological aspects of Plasma, it's fantastic. It is pretty much unmatched in many many ways. But its uh, default usability is it's it has a little bit to be desired, right? So the fact that they're working on and polishing those things is something I've been wanting for a very long time, and I'm super happy to say that they're doing this. And also consolidating some aspects of the system settings is great because the best thing about Plasma is that it's incredibly comp- uh, customizable and you can you can configure so many things. It's so great. And the worst thing about Plasma is that it's very customizable and you can configure so many things and it gets a little bit overwhelming. So that is something that they've been needing to do for a long time. And I'm super happy that they are doing that because I think Plasma has the potential to be the best desktop environment, period provided that they get the usability layer, you know, clean and easy to use. I hope for at some point they do a beginner or not beginner, but like an average user and then an advanced mode for the settings. So you don't need all of the stuff if you're not an advanced user. Yeah, I want them to do that. If they do that, I think there'd be a lot more 
a lot more friendly to people just getting started in Plasma. Because even now with these modifications, the system settings system structure is still kind of complicated and confusing and a little bit overwhelming to people. I'm I'm super happy they made this the shortcut thing. That different categories of shortcuts was so confusing because the search box only applied to different categories. Now that they have a global search for those shortcuts, so much better. And I hope they apply that same kind of a policy to the rest of the system settings because if they did, I think that there's like no limit to what Plasma could be. So Noah, I know you're a KDE fan as well, but do you use it on every box that you have? or Every KDE? box I have. Gotcha. Every so- box I have. In fact, it's to the point now where I, I'll sit down a gnome to add a printer or something like that. And I, I can't even I can't even stomach the fact that the that the gnome print dialogue doesn't let me manually decide what it is I want to do. It just automatically tries to add the printer. And my wife has gnome and it just, it just drives me nuts. Yeah, I, I run KDE on everything. I love it. Yeah, I think KDE has got a lot of people who um, may have left it at one point or another. But I know in my in my patron and things, people are all talking about this new Plasma version and how they can get it. And I want to give them a big prop for something as well. Their videos and their explanation on their site, which I appreciate very much because when I'm writing notes, a lot of times in a lot of Linux projects, what they actually worked on or added or changed is not written clearly or sure. written well, or is concise. So I have no ability how to translate that back to an audience. Whereas what KDE did here, in my opinion, was first class. The video was first class. The way they laid out the changes was first class. It just looked like somebody who really cares about their project. Yeah, they, they've been improving a, a, quite a lot in a lot of ways. And I think that there's w- one thing I wanted people to talk to be clear. There are this, the defaults of Plasma still need a little bit of work. So when if if you're interested and you've you've been convinced that you want to try it, I do think that Plasma is a fantastic DE and arguably the best DE for Linux. But depending on what distrib- distribution you use, you have a different experience. Uh, mainly because a lot of distros don't agree with the way that KDE is doing it, so they have made manipula- uh, m- changes to the configurations to make it easier for users. So when I say that there's bad defaults, there are distros that you will not experience those. So my suggestion is to try out Kubuntu first or Manjaro KDE that have made adju- adjustments to those things. So I think that those are great distros to try Plasma if you haven't tried it before. If it's been a long time since you tried Plasma, you definitely need to do it now because it has been there, there's been so much improvements and the stability's improved the efficiency of the resources has been improved a lot like just the overall usage of the the desktop environment has been just so much better so if you haven't done it in a long time you need to soon as possible because i think that kde plasma has a lot of potential they just need to fix that little usability issue. Well, let me on that on that mm. point, let me ask you Noah, you have customers that you load Linux on for them All the time. who are not as experienced as you or the people who work for you in your shop. Do you mm-hmm. go with like a default gnome because it's simple and they it's hard to break anything or do you go with KDE? So at the risk of making myself look like a real total jerk, it depends on if they're paying for managed services or if we're if they're if they're paying by the hour, right? If they're paying by the hour, um, we typically put them on GNOME because that's where they're going to get the most community support. If you just open up a browser and say, how do I do this on, on Linux? The the assumption is that it's probably Ubuntu and it's probably stock Ubuntu. So for that reason, if they're on their own, if they're flying solo, we typically we will pair them with GNOME. Now, Makes sense. if they're a managed client, that is they pay us a monthly fee and we just make sure their computer works. If that's the case, obviously the first thing we do during their onboarding and sit and, and identify what it is they want. And then we obviously look for a desktop environment that, that does that. Nine out of 10 times though, KDE is the answer to that because KDE, I think, is the best desktop environment on Linux. Um, they have simply been focusing on trying to on trying to polish long enough that there's really nothing left to fix. It's just a function of we continually add functionality and features. Interesting. So is that why when I bought that package from Alt Speed Technologies, you put me on GNOME because you thought I was yes. A, yeah, it was a one-time thing. So you're on your own. You'd, you'd be oh. on the hook for three fifty an hour if, if you want to consulting man. on that. So Thanks yeah, for no problem. Me up. <laughs> yeah, happy to help anytime. Yeah, I actually have the same experience. I, I pretty much would also give people something other than Plasma, just because GNOME makes it a lot simpler, and the other DEs make it simpler too. Like if you if you want a great polished DE that you don't have much customizations options, Ubuntu Budgie 
or the budgie desktop in any way is a fantastic experience because if you like the default and you're you're good to go with that and you only want to make tiny changes it's a great option for that that kind of person uh, but the the thing I, I love plate kde plasma i think it is a fantastic de but i i do think that they have a, a problem with the usability and i if if they would just fix that piece, there would be no question it would be the best DE for everyone. It's just right now, it's more along the lines of the enthusiast or the intermediate user because you, you know, when people say when they get started with Linux, it's they, people have this uh, reputation of Linux that it's very confusing and very overwhelming and they have to learn the command line and all this other stuff when they don't actually have to do that any of that anymore. But that same reputation is applied to Plasma and while most of the time that's not necessarily accurate, there are certain times where you want to do some things and it's just confusing of where you do them. So well, one of our patrons says that KDE comes with a, or Plasma comes with a built-in game called Find the Setting. <laughs> I thought that's hilarious. Um, I think what they've done here though, Michael, is just that. And that's why I'm so happy with this because even in one of the things we didn't mm-hmm. cover is now that if you go into your settings and you change something, those configurations that you change now get highlighted to show that you change them. So when you go back in, there's a highlight there saying, hey, this is what you changed last. So, And when I look That's at this nice. whole thing, they, they are definitely working in the right direction on this. So mad props to the KDE oh, yeah. Plasma team here. I love what you're cooking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it might seem like I was being negative. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Plasma. I've used Plasma exclusively for the past six years so it's not that i'm a, i'm i'm uh, you know no, i'm not a fan of plasma i am a big fan of plasma it's just i i see that there's they're so close to that finish line that i just want to help them get a little bit farther across it that's it but the highlight change settings is that is really nice i do like that i also like the fact that they changed there is one thing that one thing that they changed that i was originally against and then i totally got on board with when they had there's this universal function of holding alt and then clicking your left mouse button to move around a window they've changed that from alt to super so that the reason why that that i was originally about uh, against it is because it's basically a universal thing that all the a lot of de's can do not all of them but a lot can and when they when i then i thought about it well the reason why they're changing it is likely because alt interferes with other other functionality as different applications especially if you do web apps in a browser oh, alt yeah. can be a, a nightmare it could get in the way so much so you want to use alt as a shortcut because it's built into a lot of web apps to do alt you know sh- shortcuts or just hold alt to affect different tools and then super wouldn't affect those things so originally i didn't like that but i am a big fan of that because i tried it and it's way better to not be alt <laughs> so and defaults matter and sticking to a yes. common theme across other desktop environments where super key is that action key then mm-hmm. just makes sense and you can always go in and change it yeah exactly defaults do matter and i'm glad that they're making some changes to make those defaults like this meta key switch like this uh, icons only task management like having defaults uh, highlighting when you cha- make your own personal changes those kinds of things are very welcomed so thank you kde for making those changes all right so on to our gaming section it is halloween so we have to have halloween themed games along with halloween themed candy along with halloween themed uh mugs and things on the dln store do we have that michael we need to we don't but we are going to as soon and also we're going to have the next game we're going to talk about it's going to be related to pumpkin spice lattes naturally nice my favorite (laughs) yes only if it comes in venti now the game we're going to talk about this week is werewolf the apocalypse heart of the forest so this is an adaptation of a tabletop rpg onto the PC. So if you're a tabletop geek, you probably know about this game. I like some tabletop games, but this one wasn't on my radar, but this game looked pretty cool here. So it's slower paced. Noah's not going to like it because you can't no scope anyone. Uh, No first person shooter here, but your choices is this game is more of a thinking game, a slow pace where you're kind of reading stories and making choices that have consequences and they affect your character attributes like your rage, your willpower, your health, and your ability to perform certain options or have certain dialogue with certain characters based on what you choose as you go through. Now, these games are kind of hard to explain unless you've ever played one because a lot of times it doesn't sound super fun, but this game already just released and it has 104 very positive reviews. So 
it's not an expensive game at $13 to get into. If you wanted something a little slower pace, maybe you take a break after work, uh, play a couple chapters in this. Definitely worth checking out. The game story is you explore the myths and monsters of Europe's last prime evil wilderness. Play as Maya, who arrives at the ancient forest looking to explore her family history there. So this game looked pretty cool to me. Check it out if that's something that's interesting for you. And obviously, because you don't have the first-person graphics and things, you could probably play it on the lower-end PC as well. I also want to mention just one more time that we have a Game Fest coming up in November. We're going to announce the official date here soon. You can go on our DLN Xenotic community server, which randomly, generally on Sundays after recordings, you may see some of the DLN crew and things going out and hanging out in first-person shooting and no-scoping 1v1, as Noah says, right there on the Zenotic server. And we also, of course, have our Super Tux Cart server that you can play on as well. So a lot of fun coming your way in the gaming world. We're continuing our exploration of the Linux file system in our tips and tricks section. So far, we've covered slash temp, bin, boot, dev, Etsy, lib, media, opt, proc, root, run, and... Espen. This week we're going to cover slash user. Now slash user contains a mix of directories, which can in turn, which can turn contain applications, libraries, documents, and wallpapers and icons that need to be shared and used by the end user. So much like some of the other directories that we've mentioned, this is one that is fine to go and play with. If you want to go take a look in there and store some files in there and see uh, what things are being stored there or what's maybe being referenced or used there, we invite you to check out slash user. If you missed our coverage of bin, temp, boot, dev, Etsy, lib, media, opt, proc, root, run, or sbin, make sure to go back and check out those previous episodes. This is an important thing for you to uh, to establish as a baseline. So as we continue on with Destination Linux, you can keep up with the conversation. Again, stay tuned. Come back next week. We will we'll round out uh, our our discussion of Linux file system uh, on Destination Linux. The software spotlight this week comes from the community. Trip writes us to say, on the recent episode of DL, you focused on your most important apps and programs. Well, what about your most important browser extensions? Trips says that his his most important is uBlock Origin and Bitwarden. So let's have them. What are your most fa- your most favorite must-have browser extensions? First of all, I agree with Trip, especially with Bitwarden. That's a must for me. Uh, I'll also add in three more. To be clear, all of these are Firefox-specific extensions because that's my preferred browser. So you may find them on your whatever browser you use or not, but you should just use Firefox anyway. Uh, my first one is uh, copy uh, copy link text which is for a very quick explanation, copy link text is when you right click a link, it'll automatically have an option to uh, copy the link location. And then if you add this extension, it'll be able to copy the, the link text of that link. So it's a really quick, easy way to get, instead of having to highlight with your mouse and then click copy or right click or control C or whatever, you just right click the link and then just click that, that option and it does it really quickly. I like it a lot. The second one is uh, simple tab groups. This is a really nice way of being able to isolate your tabs into different sections and a bit different like workflows depending on what you want to do. Uh, it's really it's really nice that way. But absolutely my favorite extension of all time is multi-account yeah. containers. There's a brief overview for this is that it allows you to have isolation of different accounts even on the same website. So if you want to log into Twitter, multiple different accounts, you can use these containers to do so. Instead of going into a huge spill about what this one is, even though it is my favorite and I would love to do so, I already did it in a video on my channel. So I'll have that linked in the description and in the show notes so you can find out more about this. But I think multi-account containers is the number one extension, period, forever, and always. Very nice. For me, I try to stay away from these extensions as much as possible because it is a attack vector that a lot of people are starting to utilize to circumvent the security on your system. So I highly recommend, even though we're going through these, you be very careful how many extensions you just throw into your browser. Even with Firefox or any browser you're using, it just creates additional potential openings to your system. So make sure it's coming from somebody you trust. Uh, and just because it has 50,000 positive reviews does not in itself mean that it's trustworthy because all that stuff can be faked. So for me, DuckDuckGo Privacy Essentials is something that's very important. Uh, UBlock Origin, 
Bitwarden and GNOME Shell extensions because I'm in GNOME and we have to have this browser plugin in order to install extensions and then have this tweak thing in order to get those plugged in. And it's really sophisticated and amazing, but yeah, you kind of have to have it. It's a very simple DE that makes Yeah, very, anyway. very, very simple. <laughs> I agree with your point about the privacy stuff. Uh, just be clear, the, the, one, the multi-account containers that I was very hyped about made by Mozilla, so it should be good. But in terms right. of like the overall instance of the of like, you know, you make sure you trusted extensions you're getting where they're getting where you're getting them from. Uh, I've had many times where I sent Ryan as like, hey, this would be a great extension for you. And he'll say no, because nope. I don't Do you have know any who these people are. Ryan? Yeah, just those four are the only ones I'll install. Michael's tried. There are a lot of great. I've tried many times. There, and Michael tries to get me to install them. And I just if they're not from a trusted company that I know, then or has been gone through the criticism of people actually looking through their code. I just think it's such a huge opening to allow people to get into your computer uh, through these apps. And there's been some cases, although it's not widespread where that has taken place in certain apps and they get removed out of the store eventually, but what damage was done in between that time. So for me, it's, you got to be really careful with what extensions you throw up. Do you have a way to evaluate extensions? Like, is there like, there's some extensions that I find, like, I don't know how I would live without them, but I would like to know if there's something insecure about them. Is there any way to, you know, I, I try to do a lot of different types of research on it because unfortunately it's not super clear all the time. You know, you see somebody creates an extension, they just have their username there. They may have published multiple extensions, but that in itself doesn't mean that they're, somebody that's trustworthy. So you look through the comments, but those can be fake. I generally try to do some research online. If it's something like, for instance, you know, blocking ads and stuff, because a lot of those basically are just mass of a lot of these ad blocking services that you install are just taking all your data for themselves. Yeah, they're blocking the ads, but they're still grabbing all of your metadata while they're doing so. So mm -hmm. I try to do research and see what, you know, basic other security advisors and things have said about these different extensions. Ublock Origin is one that's gone through a lot of uh, different groups looking at it and criticizing it. And so to me, it's passed that test. But to your point, Noah, there's really no great system I could give you to say, yeah, this, this is how I definitely know it's safe, which is why I keep it to an absolute minimum. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, my so, preference is like there's a, a, a you know, there's one thing about Mozilla is that I, I trust Mozilla's when they make their own one because I'm yes. using their browser, right? But so that's why I'm so adamant about the multi-account containers because it's made by them. But also they have this section where they do a featured extensions thing where they actually do check to see like they give a warning that is saying it's we haven't checked it by Mozilla. But if it is a featured one, they do check them. I don't know what to, what degree their policy is for that, but at least, you know, there's something to check that out there. But no, what are your fa your must have extensions in your browser? My must-have extensions will start with Bitwarden. Can't even get on the internet without Bitwarden these days because I won't be able to log into anything. Bitwarden keeps everything secure and safe for me. Um, so that's my number one. Um, next to that is an extension called uh, Dark Reader. And Dark Reader I like because it turns all of my uh, all of my tabs, no matter whether the site supports it or not, into uh, into a dark mode. And then I also use the Facebook container. Uh, add-ons so that uh, so that I can stay connected to a couple of people that I only have on Facebook. That's it. I don't have a lot of extensions. I'm I'm, I'm with Ryan. The the the, low, the the more I can limit my attack vector, the happier I am. Yeah, that's what a good I love policy. about what you said there is is one of the big selling points of Firefox that nobody else has. That multi-account containers. I just want. I know we talked about it. Want to emphasize again what Noah just said about. Hey, I have people on Facebook. I have to use it sometimes to keep in communication with them. You know how Noah and I feel about Facebook and privacy and all of that. But because containers exist, it at least allows another... You can still have that option to connect with your friends or family because sometimes you need it without having to allow Facebook then to go off and track you everywhere you go after you leave it. It's just such an important thing to take the time to learn multi-account containers and how to use them, especially if you're one of those people that has to or needs to utilize something like a Facebook. And luckily, there is a video that I made that explains the multi-account containers and how to use them. So you can find a link for that in the show notes and in the description of this video. But if you go to the DOS Geek channel, Noah and I are doing a special coverage on multi-account containers mm. video that's way- I already plugged mine, so we're just going to go with oh. that. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Ryan knows more about it, though. So well, well, I so didn't. He's got that going. Technically, I showed him how to use it. So, I mean, but still. Yeah, but I obtained your knowledge and then 
surpassed you. Surpassed no, me. You've, be- the, you've become the, awesome. I've become the student. You've become the teacher. <laughs> yeah, that's not true at all. No, no, definitely the, go to Michael's video. The, uh, but also, just real quick, the Facebook container is a fantastic extension. You don't actually need to have the multi-account containers to use Facebook container. You can just install that too. If the only thing you want is to kind of isolate Facebook, you can get that without using the rest of it. But I do highly suggest all to get the whole thing because it is amazing. Check out the video. You'll find out why. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And you can become a patron like all these beautiful people here with us now. They get a bunch of perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events like our Game Fest, live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday. You can come out, hang out with the crew, and we can talk Linux. What else do you need, really? Exactly. Well, you might need to get some swag from the DLN store. So you go to dlnstore.com and you can get all kinds of different things like t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and we're even adding some more stuff coming soon. So if you need to get you need to get the DLN mug so that you can look like a pro while reading the official DLN news and article source frontpagelinux.com. Nothing goes better with open source and articles like frontpagelinux.com than a cup of joe and get get that for yourself because I think that the frontpagelinux.com website is fantastic, but having a cup of coffee while you're reading it, even better. Don't listen to Michael and his silly bean water pinch. It's not time for you to get coffee. It's time for you to join the DL community. That's how you're going to better your life. On Matrix, on Telegram, on Discord, basically everywhere freedom, privacy, respecting platforms are... That's where we want to connect with you. Actually, we're just everywhere. So if you can't find a way to connect with us and you're not trying hard enough because Michael has literally has us everywhere. So make sure to join the over 1,000 plus community members that are already discussing Linux and open source on the DLN community forums, Matrix, Telegram, Discord, you name it, we're there. There's a lot of discussion, Usenet posts, archives, Valdi browser, Manjaro, Bluetooth, security camera concerns, stools, you name it. If you want to know more about any of these things, Michael is there waiting to listen to you and you can join the community today. Yeah. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as a destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Patrons, if you want to join us in the post show to do our weekly hangout, turn your camera on, your mics on, and all that, and join us. Despite all of your delays. Yes. And the fact that, you know, Michael wasn't recording for the first like 15 minutes. 10. Earlier. Maybe 10. We actually finished pretty early. That was a pretty quick. Yeah, you finished like a whole hour earlier than you normally do. We're pros, is what I'm saying. Well, no one and I are. We're pros. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, because your camera wasn't ready for 30 minutes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Come at me, bro. That's true. But Howdy's to blame. Howdy. Sure, blame Howdy. You installed Howdy, so (laughs) whose fault is it? It's Howdy's fault. What if you if you combine like first person shooter with this howdy's process thing? Is that a a howdy call of duty? Oh my! Please or or call or a call of howdy duty? What is bad it? enough on hardware addicts? He's off the chain. No, I don't know. Well, we don't release the un, unedited <laughs> versions of hardware addicts, but Michael cannot stop with this dad joke thing. Like he's dad jokes are the best. It. I don't know. They're the best. I don't know if that's true. I do dad jokes and puns on that show. Everybody they enjoys them. Everybody sometimes. loves them. Everybody loves them. Yeah. When I re when I re listen to the show, I sometimes catch myself accidentally laughing at them. 